All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Patreon episode number P15, letter P number 15 of the No Country podcast. Chris and I are fucking fired up. At least I am. Chris, how are you feeling? All the way from Las Vegas, Nevada. Full of army worms and murder hornets. And I remind our listeners that while we're trying to conduct a civil discourse at the edge of final civilization and post-apocalyptic culture, we are still looking into the mysterious idea of David's mind. Why? Well, because he's here, because he's a very, very smart individual. He's my business partner. He's uh, half my age. And uh, because I said so. (laughs) So... (laughs) That's kind of where we're at. And what we do is in both the free to air and this now episode, uh, I, I assign him five words to choose two to intermingle into the conversation as a way of developing that parallel mind. Parallel mind. Jane Goodall is with me on this. Some major people are with me on the parallel mind idea. But we've also got an ongoing experiment where David has to respond to an imaginative challenge in real time that he has not heard before. So you are hearing it as he is hearing it now. Are you ready? I'm fucked. I'm ready, dude. Let's go. Are you ready? Ready, red rooster, as they said. Back in the day. Yeah. Okay. What would happen if you could see clearly five minutes into the future? Would you have a future? That's your challenge. You've got to emotionally and psychologically inhabit that idea. And I just want to say that it's important for intellectual, clever people. And David is certainly one of those. And I consider myself one. We have to embrace both the emotional and psychological aspects of our intelligence. This is one of the key problems that is missing in Western civilization, but also in our art, you know? So we're going to hear from this on David, you know, from David's point of view at the end. But what if you could? What if you could know? Not think, but know what was going to happen in five minutes time. So last episode, we were talking about uh, basically the, some of the complaints that you and I have about modern society. And we got to some good talking points about what you can actually do to remedy those things. But what I wanted from you, Chris, cause you are a man with stories. You have many, many stories. And I was wondering from your time in New Guinea, your time in Oakland, your time in Australia. I was wondering if you had some good stories for the listeners about people who really kind of uh, said fuck you to modern society and lived their own way. I want to hear some stories of some some rough and tumble cats. Well, I have, I think, a great answer to that, but it's a strange answer because it's also someone who was born in the Dorchester Hotel in London and grew up in immense hotel uh, world privilege and expectation. So uh, we're talking a very button-down suit sort of guy in the midst of tropical heat. But I grew to really, really admire him. He took over. Well, the backstory was he was running the biggest hotel in Melbourne. And 
there was a disgraceful episode, as the head office said, around the Melbourne Cup, which is the equivalent of the Kentucky Derby. And there were all sorts of naked women running around the hotel and all sorts of things. So Lionel, my friend, got banished to a resort uh, on the island of New Ireland, which is a really wonderful island. It's just off the coast of New Guinea. It's one of the three major islands just north. And um, it was a resort that had been built by one of our very, very famous movie producers who has no taste at all and creates these enormous sets of things. It was for a movie called Cyclone. And uh, it never got built, but the resort remained and Lionel was banished to take over this, uh, what could have been a really fine place had there not been quicksand on the golf course and, you know, a few people eaten by crocodiles. I mean, <laughs> but he was not to be dismayed about anything and i think of him every every time i'm angry or frustrated or someone gets in my way i think of lionel because he had absolutely no tolerance zero tolerance for anything that was not fun and upbeat he just didn't listen he just did not hear when the uh, women working for him would refuse to use the beautiful industrial washing machines for all the linen and wanted to go to the waterfall, he went to the waterfall with them, hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And he started, there's a, a tradition of, of water percussion where the women, you know, not only wash the clothes, but they beat the water in a drumming fashion and sing. Well, he... You know, good, <clears throat> crazy, Methodist, English, uptight, white guy. He took off his clothes and got in with them and started beating the water and drumming with them. But this is the story that I love. He managed to wriggle in some really wealthy people. And their first call the moment they got settled into their luxury bungalow, and he lived in a shack, by the way, um, was, well, these lizards, these lizards, they're everywhere. And he said, he spoke only about 10 languages. He said, Madam, uh, geckos are a, an important part of the island ecosystem and are everywhere. And I'm sorry, but you'll have to just live with them. It's part of the great charm of this wonderful, mystical place. And he hung up the phone. Well, no, that didn't do. There was on and on and on. And at one point, he did allow himself one small, what he called a snigger of gin. He's English, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. And... Uh, he was having a little bit of tropical gin, which is a great tropical tradition for demented white people in very, you know, dense equatorial heat. And he looked out and he saw this woman, this rich woman, the one part of this enormously rich couple that he was trying to build, rebuild the franchise. She was racing towards the golf course and the quicksand and the crocodiles. And he thought, oh, my God, I, I better go have a look. The last thing he'd said to them is that, look, the lizards are everywhere, and they, they can ride the ceiling fans. I love geckos on ceiling fans, by the way. Geckos on a teak blade ceiling fan is a beautiful thing. Uh, that's, a cool, and, that's a cool image. I like lizards in uh, general. We see a bunch of uh, little fuckers around here. So he goes to the room and the billionaire tycoon, and we have a lot of billionaires now fumbling around the world with their own resorts, you know, Richard Branson and uh, 
just makes me sick. But he goes in. And the billionaire husband cannot speak. Cannot speak. Just points to the bathroom. Everything in life is about the bathroom. It's it's really about the bathroom and the kitchen, if we're honest. You know, the bedroom, our offices and workspaces, those are just bonuses, really. Those are just bonuses. It's all, always about the bathroom and the kitchen. Well, the last thing he'd said was, you know, uh, the local reptiles can be riding the ceiling fans. They might be, you know, on the walls, you know, all the time. You just have to, uh, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do about it. Well, he looked in the bathtub. A beautiful marble bathtub for really rich white people, you know, just on the equator. You know, who else has a fucking marble bathtub, you know, on the equator? Seems heavy. There is an enormous monitor lizard <laughs> in the bathtub with a three foot long tail and a six foot long body. And it's in the whole, I mean, monitor lizards are like, you know, small versions of Komodo dragons. Right. And this one, but when, they, when they're smaller, they have absolutely beautiful, beautiful art direction. They're, I, I would want some boots, you know. I love monitor lizards, but I want some boots made out of some of that skin because... You can't get that. I mean, only maybe a Gila monster or something. You know, it's just like so beautiful. But he looked and went, oh, well, perhaps the lesson is, as someone who was born in one of the greatest hotels in the world, he said, you know, never be too humble to remember the greatest lesson in your field, whatever it is, whatever field it is. Mm -hmm. Check the room yourself before guests arrive. Don't leave it to your excellent water-beating staff. No, go yourself and check it out. And I just laugh about that all the time. I mean, I just think, well, yeah. I mean, he was telling these people that lizards are just, you know, sorry, there's nothing I can do. And there was really what amounted to a nine-foot-long monitor lizard in the bathtub. That's amazing. And. Yeah, I, I I love that story. I love him. Mm-hmm. He uh, he just did not give in, um, and he was eventually rewarded with one of the the premium jobs of the the most exclusive hotel in Russia, and oh, he turned it down. Hmm. He turned it down because he he wanted to stay with the loonies, mm-hmm. um, the cannibals, you know, the crocodiles the monitor lizards, um, and he's still there right now. Yeah. I like this idea of always checking the room yourself before the guests arrive. I had an experience like that with my reading recently where I uh, I wrote 28 pieces for it. You helped me with this. So for listeners, the basic idea of the, of the reading was that I would uh, do a quick magic trick for the audience in which I ask them to pick a number between one and four. I ask a volunteer to pick a number between one and four. And no matter which number they picked, I would have that number in one of my pockets, right? So it was two. So you pull out the two and you say, I knew you were going to pick two. I knew you were going to pick two. Because according to Gotthard and Johnson, uh, in 2009, in the New England Journal of Sociology, they said that 85% of people will pick the number two. You really sell it. You right. Really, you really try to sell this thing. But, of course, yeah. none of that is true. Following on from that, the 28 pieces that I wrote for my reading, uh, it was up to them to pick seven. Choose seven out of the 28. And, uh, you know, when I was putting these pieces together, I was in contact with Chris. You know, I was, uh, you know, who was it who said the ant thing? Oh, right, Lewis Thomas. So, so I'm putting together all of these quotes and all of these neat little anecdotes and I'm thinking, you know, this will be great as long as people don't pick this specific seven number, you know, because like these were like the seven that I had kind of been like, oh, well, I guess I'll just leave that there. And it's good enough, but not great. 
So I had 21 really great pieces and seven just okay pieces. And of course, completely at random, they picked every single one of those seven that I did not want them to pick. <laughs> and it, but it goes back to check the room before the guests arrive. Hey, how about this as a concept? Maybe don't have any any uh, flops in your in your lineup. How about 28 complete bangers, right? Then you don't have to worry about uh, which number or which order they pick because it'll all flow smooth. So that was a lesson to me. That was me having my my hand slapped by the universe. Well, I, I think that's a mild slap, and I think that's a good editorial direction to get from the universe. You know that that I mean. It's all, and you know, the thing is that we're, we're all locked into nouns, fixation, done deals, you know, but the whole thing is, is a constant verb, you know, anyone who's in, anyone who's been involved in a marriage knows this. There is the moment you start thinking of a noun uh, or thinking in terms of nouns, you're really not in a good position. It's a verb. She's a verb. He's a verb. We're verbs. You know, it, it, it's not a done deal. It's a constant, constant mm -hmm. uh, dynamic oscillation that we have to kind of nourish. And yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that, that audience response gives us that. But yeah, I, I like the idea of like, well, 28 perfect pieces that you, you know, you really swear by that gives you more confidence. Uh, mm -hmm. But that's how you learn that game. It's like house odds. I live in Vegas, you know, and, and we forget about that concept of house odds. Mm -hmm. But it's a really good idea, you know? Right. It's like, yeah, people win because the house allows them to win. Yeah. You know? Right. And part that's of the, part of the longer con, basically. Yeah, it is. It's a it is a long con. It and in all of our society and really maybe one one idea of what uh culture capital C and our ghost radio idea is a long con, mm -hmm, you know? Mm -hmm. But you can enjoy the long con. I mean, isn't falling in love with a woman a long con? Absolutely. I mean, really? Yeah, I mean, without a doubt. Without a doubt you are 100%. Well, because if I mean, just put it this way, if my wife had been privy to everything that I did and said and was throughout the course of our marriage, it wouldn't exist anymore, right? So it is definitely a performance to a certain extent, yeah. you know? Um, and I, th I really do like this idea of using the structure of the con for good instead of evil. You know, you don't want to use the con to rip off old ladies or what have you. But the structure of the con, right? The um, what the having the, the the turn and the prestige of something, I think, is a really good way of of looking at, you know, selling yourself to people and selling yourself to life in general, right? I always love the the thing in the con where you where the con man looks like he's been outsmarted, but the outs but being outsmarted was part of the overall plan, you know. I just, I don't know. It's like some Ocean's Eleven type shit that I think really, mm. really works out. Um, I also wanted to talk about the what you were saying about people being... Ver this is Gus, by the way. He's just talking away. He's teething, and he is going to let the world know that he is teething, and he is not going to take naps. Right on, Gus. He doesn't... Right on, he Gus. Said, he said, naps? We're not doing naps today. Why would I take a nap? Why? You don't have anything important to do. You just have to look at me. Um, but the idea of people as verbs instead of nouns, I think is so important because what we're really talking about is Chris and I are crusaders against the nouning of society, right? We are crusaders for the verbing of society and we don't want this endless, um, this endless pinning of butterflies on a cork board that our society has kind of become. Uh, we want things to remain dynamic and interesting and in flux rather than rather than static. So I just wanted to throw that in there. I liked that you had said that. Well, it's really important because I think that, you know, this is something that we can all do in our own lives. Um, you know, we can 
reinvigorate ourselves. We can reanimate. Uh, you know, everyone talks today about, you know, systemic problems and, oh, there's the government doing this or there's this corporate sort of onslaught of, you know, we all feel so disempowered. But on the other hand, I mean, in your head, moment to moment, in your body, in your own body, you can change the entire world by not thinking so statically, by not thinking of things in terms of fixed artifacts as in nouns. And so everything is just moving a piece on a board or having a piece moved for you. No, mm -hmm. it's about it's about a dynamism. You know, it really is. And, and this is something that is native to so many people around the world who were trying to, you know, really, you know, crunch out of existence as fast as we can harvest their timber or their mineral resources or whatever. But we're trying to do that to each other, you know, and it's like, no, stop that shit, you know? Right, right. <laughs> you don't have to put up with that. The world is a verb. It is a dynamic, constant process. Your relationships are constant processes, you know? Uh, mm -hmm. There's nothing more... Uh, I mean, I, I really think about this. If I had been really on the game mm -hmm. with my marriages, I would have thought of them in that way mm -hmm. and not taken things for granted and not felt like, well, this is a static right. uh, deal, you know? It's a done deal. It's a contract, you know? Yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, no, it's not. It's a moment-to-moment -moment, uh, fight. Uh, it's a moment-to-moment -moment, uh, love. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, how can you have good sex if, if everything is, like, fixed? I mean, that just doesn't make sense at all. No. Um, yeah, part, so of, part of sex really... is, uh, is the unpredictability of what's going to happen, you know? Right. You want, you, right. You, want and... some, you want some weird stuff to happen. Somebody should somebody should fart at some point, right? Otherwise, it's just... <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Otherwise, well, it's just too, you know, it's, it shouldn't be, you know, because order and things like that make it clean. And once it's clean, it's not fun anymore. Right. That's that's Cinemax. That's boring. That's, uh, you know, it, it, it should be at times awkward at other times, not awkward. Um, you know, and it's a, it's hard to keep that up over, I don't know, 15, 16, 30, 40 years. But I think that it's all in how you approach it. You know, there are people who get pretty wild with what they get into, you know, because it's like, oh, well, we've tried everything. So I don't know. Now it's time to put stuff in your butt or whatever. And I've never subscribed to that <laughs> element of sex, either in my, in my butt or my partner's butt. Um, but it's, it's, it's more like uh, it's, 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 it's just more like approaching the whole thing with a with a spirit of, of kind of openness and like, let's see what happens and, you know, enjoying the other person's company instead of thinking of them as like, this is the, this is the receptacle that I'm going to empty a load into. You know what I mean? That's just kind of, that's just a gross way of approaching everything. You know what I mean? As like a means to an end. That's just kind of yucky. I don't care for that. Well, you know, I mean, and this is very relevant, you know, with, uh, Gus in the background, you know, we're all messy, you know, we're all messy. We all need to be cleaned up. We all need the dignity of being able to clean ourselves. I mean, one of the, one of the uh, baseline ideas of adulthood is somehow being able to clean yourself, mm -hmm. you know, to not be uh, offensive. There was a guy, I was once uh, stuck in traffic uh, here in Vegas, and there was a guy in summer heat wandering down the car aisles because we couldn't move and he had this enormous i hadn't i hadn't seen anything like this since the tropics which where septic ulcers uh, are are common mm -hmm. uh he had a massive leg ulcer i mean i i, I my first thought was that that leg has got to come off like today and it was hot. It was really stinking hot. It was 113 degrees Oof. in traffic in Las Vegas. Mm. And he was wandering down the car aisles with a sign that said, you can smell 
my wound Ugh. for money. Ugh. And of course, what? the problem was Ugh. the problem was you could smell his wound without paying him any money. I mean, I mean, I, that guy is not walking around today, and he's certainly not walking around on two legs. I can tell you, Jesus. but you know, it's about a personal respect for dignity and cleanliness. And in in a sense, isn't that what real sexual intimacy is about? You create uh, some sort of theater uh, enclosed environment where another person or other people, maybe if that's your gig, they feel protected, they feel secure, they feel clean. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not apologizing, you know, even if you're not, you know, if you're not into butt sex, fine, but they don't, no one's apologizing for having a butt. Right. You know, exactly. and <laughs> that's really kind of important, you know, um, and 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 that's one of the things that that it, that human dignity hinges on. It's all about cleanliness. It's about the bodily functions, and we never get past that. I I'm amazed that people today think that we are past shitting, pissing, uh, periods, you know. All of the bodily fluid things, because no, we're not. No. They they inform every aspect of our thought and how we deal with that, and to what extent we, you know, euphemism mm-hmm. is a really twisted language idea, mm-hmm. and I, I I have a lot of problems with euphemism. Hey, Gus. Oh yeah, he's talking. Um, yeah, he's into it. He's he's saying, yeah. Look, I I, I don't like euphemism either. <laughs> trying to get a dog, but, a dog hair out of his mouth. <laughs> he doesn't like that. Well, yeah. oh man, it's, it's see, it's on. See, that's the thing though. There is no getting the dog hair out of you. You know, there's no getting a pubic hair. You know, it's all we're just messy. Right. You know, yeah. that's how. That's how he came to be. That's how you came to be. That's how I came. That's how we all came to be is because it was just bloody messy. Yeah. And we have to accept that and then work from there. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't just, you know, there's no point in just, you know, sinking into the morass of membrane and odor and fluid and, you know, yeah, you got to move on from that, of course. Yeah. But the fact is that we can move on from that is is that's the miracle. We can move on from mucus and blood and shit mm-hmm. to actual thought. I mean, that's a really crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, and I I think that those the interplay between those two things is what makes humans what we are. Uh, I personally am glad that people clean themselves and take showers. Um, I can't imagine what it would have smelled like to live in Victorian era England, for example, just the, with the with the open like sewage and chicken guts and body odor and steam. That just that seems uh, relatively a lot. But I guess you would probably become nose blind to it eventually. And just kind of move on because people still had children. They still, I guess, just sort of dealt with it. But um, go ahead. Well, I think that's a really important point, though, that you mentioned about. And this this ties in with an ongoing theme of ours about, well, what did you have for dinner, you know, yesterday or mm-hmm. last week? Um, there is a real problem mm-hmm. trying to impose values from today our woke values because everyone's got to be woke right uh onto the past when we can't actually really bring to mind only a few people can and i think they are writers and artists and creative people they might they might be able to imagine what walking down a street, a, a dirt street or a cobblestone street in, in St. Louis in 1850, mm-hmm. you know, which mm-hmm. is it? And what it, what does it smell like? What does it sound like? What are, in fact, the languages spoken? You know, a lot of people would think, well, you know, everyone's talking English. No, they're not. 
You know, they weren't. They were talking Spanish and they were talking French. And there were a lot of crazy, you know, Native American people hanging out by the wharf. And it was, it smelled really, really funky. And there were actual, you know, working animals that would sometimes keel over in the street. Well, what do you do then? Well, you pull out a big horse revolver. Mm. You know, why do they call them horse pistols? Because that's what you need to shoot them in the head. Mm. And that's what goes on. And people don't have any idea about this. I, I, I'm infuriated by the uh, revisionist history ideas that are being put forward by some uh, woke academics today. Because I don't think that we have any idea about the past. Mm-hmm. I remember walking, I, when I lived in rural Australia... Uh, my dentist, who I didn't see often enough, he had in the front window this amazing, sadistic collection of medical instruments that were used in dentistry, you know? And people think, well, oh, those were from the, the 19th century. No, they weren't. No, they weren't. They were from 1920. They were from the 20th century. Mm-hmm. We all take everything for granted now. And it's just getting tedious to me. I, I can't even deal with how people just assume that you can get knocked out to get a camera stuck up your butt mm-hmm. to get a colonoscopy. Do you know how many people died to make that anesthesia delivery possible? A ton. You know? Well, I no mean, one thinks about that. I mean, my grandmother used to get electroshock therapy for her depression. They used to fire electro uh, electrodes into her brain to try to scramble it back to normal, right? I mean, they were cutting mental patients. You know, they were doing frontal lobotomies on people in order to yeah. uh, kind of help help them with their health. And now we have, uh, I don't know, pills to uh, to help with all that, which, you know. May or may not be be better. I don't, I'm not really sure, but yeah, no. I mean, like the history the history of how we got to where we are now is messy, and I think that revising that history in any way, shape, or form is um is really kind of an affront to what it means to be human, right? And it also, uh, you know, I mean that I'm not talking specifically about the Confederate statue issue, although I think that has plenty of problems on its own. But kind of this revising thing, let's say about the founding fathers, right? And it's kind of the the thing to do to be like, you know, oh, well, the founding fathers, they, you know, did da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And it's like, well, yeah, but that's that's part of the whole story, right? And also, they've been dead for 300-odd years. You know what I mean? That's... That's kind of a critical point. Yeah. They, you know? They, 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 I they, mean... They've been dead for a long time. And I think that, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, I don't know what people want. You know, do you want, do you want, do you want perfection? You want perfect people? What, son? What do you want? You're talking in my ear. What do you want? You want carrots? I think Gus wants carrots. Well, you know, it's about, I, I think, how much mess you can accept. I mean, if I had to say, if I had a gun to my head or this is the last moment in my life and I had to say, well, what do you think about females? Your relationship with females across your life, you know, one word, you only get one word because we're going to shoot you in the head. Mm-hmm. I'd say mess. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, I would. Yeah. And, and I, I, I think that that's a very fair, you know, mm-hmm. uh, truth. And I think it also applies to to males. Um, So it's not just a gender sort of thing. But, you know, this whole organic process of being a carbon-based life form, I I hate to tell people, it's a little bit messy, you know? I mean, mean, we gave you a challenge about uh, (laughs) can diarrhea be good? And and you answered that really, I think, with, with... it was just wonderful in many ways. For for listeners who had, haven't heard this, 
We're doing a thing every episode where I challenge David with some kind of creative on the spot uh, predicament. Predicament is a lovely word. Walter Mosley uses that word. We don't like conflict. Everyone has conflicts. I get conflicts with my neighbors and every every woman I've been involved with and mm-hmm. the IRS mm-hmm. and you know on and on and on. But we're talking predicament. And David <laughs> did a really lovely thing the last episode, and I think you should check it out. It's just it's it's just a wonderful response. It's a beautiful little uh, sort of flash fiction kind of story, which is sort of what I'm hoping to achieve. But I'm really just uh, I, I'm a little bit sadistic, and I just like to to push him into corners, mm-hmm. uh, particularly when he's got a young son and mm-hmm. he's got a hot wife. And <laughs> he lives in Oklahoma, which is kind of a place that a lot of us dismiss. I, I just like pushing him into the corner, yeah, you know, yeah. like a spider with a big stick, you know. Absolutely. Now there. Well, I think that's a good place to stop the episode proper. I had a mental challenge this episode. Um, and <laughs> and I, uh, I have some thoughts. I have some thoughts about this. So what if I could see five minutes? Oh, tell us. Really? I have, few, I have a few thoughts about this. <laughs> Right. Um, One of the things that's interesting about the way that time works in particular is that our perception of it, where we're sitting in the present, is propped up on a past that we believe to be completely solid. But as we've talked about, you know, uh, on several episodes of this show, that the, the past is actually kind of constantly shifting in a way that might make some people a little bit uncomfortable. But I think that I think that 5 minutes into the future is pretty solidly locked in for the most part. A helicopter could crash into my room 5 minutes from now. That would be very unexpected. That would be something that I wouldn't be able to assemble from the pieces that I have around me right now as something that could happen. So it might be it might be valuable in a situation like that where I could maybe not maybe not cross yeah. that street. Or, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe not go into, you know, wherever. Assuming, of course, that these, that this future that I'm seeing five minutes into the future is not fixed. Is it fixed or is it not fixed, right? You don't have to answer that. I'm just, I'm being rhetorical, right? But what I think would be the most interesting aspect of being able to see five minutes into the future at any given time is that the future would actually just become, in a sense, a part of my present, right? It would be pulling mm. the future back to me so that it became a kind of, a kind of uh, it'd be like living life with a constant echo effect on it, right? A con- constantly moving to meet up with where I already am. And I think that in doing that, you could take two different paths, right? You could begin to become maybe a bit depressed because you would begin to feel as though your um, your ability to determine where you're going to go doesn't exist at all. It would kill your ideas of free will, basically, and you would you would constantly be moving towards this point that you have no real escape from but another way of looking at it is that you're actually able to see i guess the way that different potential futures collapse right in front of you right because i think that if you were able to see five minutes into the future i don't think it would be a solid movie that would play out in front of you i think what you would see in fact would be potentialities and as you got closer to that five-minute mark, I think you would begin to see the potentialities collapse into the solid present that we live in right now. And once you knew that, once you knew that it was all these potentialities that collapse only when you move towards them, I think the exact opposite would happen. And you would suddenly b- realize that you do have you have absolute free will, or choices at least. Everything is choice. And I think that you would start to live your life in a more deliberate way. You know, you'd stop living in a constant 
present where you just wanted to stimulate yourself enough to get dopamine because you'd have this constant echo of the very very near future there right that would that would uh, <laughs> kind of force you to uh i don't know to take some responsibility for what you're doing with your life and your time so that's my answer to that question very interesting very interesting philosophical question i think that's a very good i think that's a very well we want to upgrade you know with every imaginative challenge we want to change up the speed mm. you know it's like uh when uh vita blue uh a cy young award winner came out to look at me as a pitcher when i was in mm. high school and then he said you got to get some more game you know it was a hard thing to hear but i heard what he said you know it's really about having some more pitches and it's having some more magic and it's having some more style and it's having some more thing, you know, and he, he, he couldn't articulate all of that, but, but I knew what he meant, you know, it's like, you've got to have some more things. So we're going to look at this with all of your challenges to, to get you to express and perform because performance is everything in life. All of life is a performance our existence mm -hmm. is a performance so you're doing a fantastic job and i think that was a really great answer i think there were some really interesting things there um and i hope people pick up on this because uh this is david not having had any any briefing about any of this we can honestly say this this is just purely live to air really improvisational response and you know, improvisation is one of the major things that some other cultures have brought to Western white culture, uh, you know, if we're going to really look at that sort of thing. And we need to embrace that. And, and it's really important to really get improvisation into our own lives. So that was really cool. cool. I, I think that was Excellent. really wonderful. Are we, are we ready for a major tip? Give us a tip um, and then give us a dream. Okay, the tip is something that I think is, it, you know, again, I'm always striving to find some things that are really simple. You know, I believe in the simple. I, I tell my students that nothing is obvious. Nothing is obvious. Um, and I really believe that in my heart. Um, but nevertheless, if you do follow this, you know, this is like a weightlifting, calisthenics, you know, physical therapy sort of thing. Only the discipline of doing will actually deliver this to you, but I, I want to lay it on you anyway. Okay. All right. We're all about pronouns today, aren't we? There's a lot of debate about pronouns. Uh, sadly, Jordan Peterson, who I think is much uh, worth uh, as an intellect and a, a public figure, got sort of pigeonholed into being someone who opposed certain, you know, pronoun ideas. But I want you to think about this. Every time that you use the undisputed pronoun of I, I want you to substitute your name. Okay? I want you to think about that. So, in other words, I don't think this. Chris thinks this. Eliminate I. Eliminate me. Okay? Focus on your proper pronoun name. Your name is a proper noun. We forget that. It's a good proper noun. And I'm not sure why we need to worry so much about pronouns when no one else knows anything about, you know, really, prepositions and adverbs. And, you know, you ask them about that, they go, oh, I don't know. No. Every time you say or think anything, just give it a day. Just give it one day where you say, well, I think, no, David thinks this. 
Think of yourself in the third person, the third person. This is the problem that a lot of us have with the whole pronoun debate is that it's all about perspective. You know, what a weird thing that is. What a genius point of view that is. First person, second person, third person. You know, all these people complaining about and putting forward their pronouns idea. You know, they're not, they don't know anything about the eight parts of speech. They don't care anything about language. They know nothing. They're just eliciting some momentary socio-political uh, leverage, and they don't even know what they're doing. But think about this. Every time you assert, present, just speak naturally. I, me, substitute your full name. Just do it for one day. Third person. I don't think that fish is good to eat. David Osborne thinks that fish is good to eat. Think about what that means. I don't have a young son. David Osborne has a young son. You know, start to really resonate around that third person point of view. If we want to get serious about pronouns, yeah, let's get right down to it. Excellent. Take us home with a dream. Okay, well, I was back. Uh, I was back in, I don't know, the jungle mountain refuges of the Solomon Islands, maybe New Guinea. I don't know. I was kind of coming back home to a place that is forever strange to me. I'm not from there, and I, I'm scared of there, and I, I felt like I failed those people even when I try to do the right thing. But nevertheless, I was wandering through a beautiful stretch, just absolutely fabulous, uh, ancient soft timber rainforest trees, just, you know, and all of the secret life was there, you know, the insects, like beetle wings clicking. Have you ever heard beetle wings clicking? It's really magical. And then birds, you know, birds on multi-level, like a choir that had been, you know, directed dimensionally, you know, just magic. And I came upon uh, a village setting. And a lot of the, the, the villages in those parts of the world, they're, they're not, they're, there are many different styles of, of, of living. Some people actually have very private homesteads that are family sort of things that are, you know, very isolated from other groups. And then there are communal villages and there are communal villages with more uh, rigor where uh, the, the, the ch ch child raising thing is divided between women in the early ages and then the men. And this is sort of like that last group. It was, it was, it was a long house thing where there were some women's houses and, you know, if you have to be told what, what a women's house, how it differs than a men's house, well, then you might need to review your whole program. Um, so I was wandering around, but there's no one around. And I came to this one it wasn't a spirit house. It wasn't like something that was like religious or magical that I thought, but I walked inside and inside was this absolutely amazing model city. I mean, it was breathtaking. It was like the finest Western architects, the greatest Japanese architects, the greatest Chinese architects had made a model of some kind of city and it was alive it was alive it was moving it was like clockwork and it was more than clockwork it was something organic in it and i looked at it and i was 
absolutely hypnotized by it. I thought, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. And it was an amalgamation of many, many architectural styles. Many. Essentially all that I know. <laughs> um, well, it was my dream, right? Uh, and I was so fixated by it. I thought I would never be able to move again. And this beautiful young woman, but not that young, came up to me and said, you have to stop looking at what can't be and move me forward. And I just, I woke up remembering a very deep sense of female touch and not just touch, but like muscular touch. Like she moved me forward. And I, I just felt like this sense of I'm coming back to a reality that I need to regain after a vision of something that just, yeah, it's not possible. It just, that crazy city was beautiful, but it'll never be and and why would it should you know why should it be you know when you've got a beautiful woman leading you back to consciousness so that was my dream i like it it's great man i want to go to some cool places in my dream <laughs> that makes me want to i'm going to focus i'm going to focus before i go to sleep i'm going to try to go to some places but that was beautiful um Thanks, everybody, for subscribing to the No Country Podcast. We really appreciate it. Uh, and we will we'll talk to you next time. Yeah, we're going to kick off some interesting stuff. So please stay with us. We really appreciate your support. We appreciate the community. Dave and I are all about community. I mean, we started this because of kind of emotional, psychological, uh, intellectual loneliness. And we're, we're really grateful for building a community that has some points in common you know this is the thing does the ball bounce at the same time you know perfect <laughs> someone said that to me in central america a long time ago does the ball bounce at the same time i'm still thinking about mm. that <laughs>